Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest and greatest episode of Inside the Hexagon. This is co-host Josh Molina. I'm sitting in for host Phil Lanides because when I found out who this week's guest was going to be, I had to jump in. I had to be involved. It's none other than the comeback kid, the hands of steel himself, the great Scott Smith, one of my favorite fighters of all time. Scott Smith, it's my privilege to talk to you. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Uh, I wanted to just go right there and sort of, you know, talk about a few things. You know, you are a, a legend of Strike Force, and you are somebody who's had some great fights. So we want to sort of talk to you and sort of relive sort of your legacy and your magnitude and the impacts that you've had on the company and go through a couple of fights. But let's start right right off with uh, how did you get involved in, in MMA? What, what was your uh, introduction to the sport? Can you walk us through that? So uh, I have a wrestling background. Uh, I did okay in high school, took fourth in California State and junior college. Um, I was wrestling with a couple guys that had never wrestled in high school before, and they were only on the junior college wrestling team to improve their jiu-jitsu. And this is when the UFC had just got started and, you know, Gracie and all that. So I was really intrigued by the jiu-jitsu. These guys won like over half their matches and they never wrestled in their life. So I happened to be walking down my hometown street in Elk Grove and I saw a jiu-jitsu sign. I, I walk in there, happened to be the cousin of the guy I wrestled with. And so I jumped right into Brazilian jiu-jitsu and I was going five, six days a week for, you know, the first couple of years. And that the um, instructor said, you know, you got really good wrestling. Your jiu-jitsu's come around. Uh, if you if you could learn striking, you'd probably do pretty good in MMA. And I thought, oh, I want to do it just to do it. So I trained boxing, didn't even do any kickboxing or Muay Thai or anything, just straight boxing for like six months. And mm -hmm. I was pretty natural at it. And uh, he set me up with a fight and I was going to do one just to do it. And then, you know, all of a sudden I was eight and out. Help me understand that feeling when, you, when you're transitioning from being obviously a wrestler and a really good wrestler. And then you're going to something where you can now get hit in the face. You're, you can get kicked in the face. You could get elbowed. You're obviously a tough guy and you, you're, you know how to fight, but it's something different when you're actually entering combat. Can you talk to me about that transition? What was it like to know you were going to get hit and you were going to hit other people? And did you have any sort of fear or apprehension or how did you work yourself into that position? I will, I will be honest and say, I absolutely had fear. And I, and I've heard George St. Pierre say this, that you have to have some kind of fear walking into the cage. It's pretty surreal, especially on the big shows like Strike Force with all the lights. It's almost like you're dreaming, like, okay, this isn't really finally happening. But when I when I first walked in the cage, my first fight, I fought a guy, Teddy Stamatellos, and I was in the cage first. And this guy comes out wearing overalls and a cowboy hat. I'm fighting at heavyweights. And uh, this this guy's all buffed out. He's shaking the cage before he walks in. Cal Worsham was in his corner. And I said, what in the hell am I doing here? I was scared to death. I had a game plan of using my boxing. I was going to, I was going to strike with him. That went out the window. I went straight to the, my background of wrestling. I took him down and actually submitted him. So I, I was definitely fearful. And I told myself before the fight started, I will never do this again. And then <laughs> as soon as my hand got raised, you know, I had a good 50, 60 people there that adrenaline rush. I said, Oh, I like this. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, you know, you are, your career is sort of marked by your ability to, to dish out punishment as well as take a lot of punishment. 
And I think that's why you were such an exciting fighter. A lot of times people watch MMA and uh, they might not understand all of the skill and technique that goes into maybe a, a grappling match or a jujitsu match or two guys who are on the ground the whole time. And one of the things that stood out with you was every time you competed, it felt like you're there to fight. And it was so ver very sort of uh, easy to connect with if you're just a fan, because most people don't know how to wrestle or jujitsu, but like they have a primal understanding of what fighting is. And you would go out there and you would just leave it all in the cage every time. So can we talk a little bit about this, this uh, comeback reputation that you had? Um, you know, was that what do you what do you think of that? That you were able to pull off these comebacks over Pete Sell and Benji Raddick and Kung Lee. When you think about that, is that is that the way you wanted to do it? Would you have loved to just go in there and dominate? Talk to me about that experience of being able to rally and come from behind and win so many times. It's not necessarily a strategy. I am a kind of a slow starter, and I like to feel things out. And I don't I don't like to go in there and uh, blow all my energy right away. I know I could take the punishment, at least on, on my earlier fights I could. And uh, and it takes me a couple rounds to get going. Now, when I say a couple rounds, I mean like sparring. If I spar 10 rounds, I, I don't get anything done in the first few rounds. It takes me getting hit to get amped up and hyped up. And for some sick reason, that's fun for me to, you know, to get that adrenaline rush of getting hit. And then I, I start to turn it on a little bit. So let's go right into my favorite fight. I mean, this this fight was amazing. I remember Mauro Ranallo called it the miracle in San Jose. And uh, it was it was so great. And I, I think part of it is when you watch you fight, you look like you're sincere, you're genuine, you're happy. You're not one of these fighters who takes anything for granted. You look like a regular guy in there who's uh, obviously high level, but somebody who also really appreciates the opportunity you're going in there against Kung Lee, who at the time is a former champion and he hadn't really lost the title, but I guess he had vacated it. And, you know, he's, he's a big name. He's a rising star. And uh, he's somebody people are really excited about because of his uh, style of fighting. And, and uh, you um, obviously had a name too. And you were, you were also somebody who people really enjoyed fighting. You were coming off the Nick Diaz fight. So there was sort of like two different trajectories with the two of you coming in. Talk to me about fighting Kung Lee and what was going through your mind when you were stepping into the cage with him and training for him. Were you concerned? I mean, Kung Lee's not a regular fighter. Those kicks are wicked, right? They're, and they're, you don't, there aren't a lot of people who you can uh, spar against who can, who can replicate that in camp. What was your thought going into the Kung Lee fight and how did you approach it? You know, one of my, one of my best uh, training partners for that fight was actually a, a female fighter. And I can't remember her name right now, but she, she trained under Kung Lee for years she was like five foot, nothing. And you know, 110 pounds, but that was probably my best sparring partner. Cause she had those uh, kicks like he did. Yeah. And I, I, I worked on learning to defend those with Ganyao Fairtex down in uh, San Francisco. And we would work with, uh, you know, blocking the, those spinning kicks with the elbow. And if you've ever thrown a kick like that and somebody blocked with the elbow, it hurts your foot bad. And I actually blocked a couple with the, with my elbow i have a chip bone in my left elbow to this day because of it oh. and it and it didn't seem to phase him at all <laughs> now those kicks i will say they they're very effective 
he knocked me down, I think, four, at least four times in the fight from the kicks. They don't necessarily hurt, but they're very effective. I mean, he knocked me halfway across the cage with those kicks. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it is tough. It is tough to train for. And I thought I had a good game plan coming in. You know, I, I, I definitely planned on starting out slow because uh, it wasn't a big age difference, but he had had a, quite a bit of a layoff from fighting. So I thought I assumed he would get tired quicker. Yeah. And it, it took him till the end of the third round to tire down. I didn't, I didn't plan on starting that slow, but uh, he, he had a, he had a great game plan and I just couldn't, couldn't get off until the, until the very end of the fight. And when you were, when you're in there, right. So you're, you're, you're fighting him. This is like a nationally televised event. Talk to me about sort of what you're feeling in terms of the magnitude you're with strike force uh, at the time they are, a, a rising promotion. They have national uh, television and they are, uh, you know, an alternative to the UFC, but you've got a lot of people watching you. Okay. This, this isn't something where you're like the alternative and distant from UFC. What's going through your mind when you're like, you have this national stage and you know that there's so many people watching. How do you, how did you deal with that at the time? I, I you know, I was super proud to be in the position I was, there, there's a lot of fighters out there to this day that were a lot better than me that never made it to the big show. You know, I, I was fortunate to get where I was, mm-hmm. you know, I won the right fights at the right time. So, but I was very proud to be where, where I was at too, because I did work hard to get there. And I think, you know, when I first started fighting, I told you about the fear, uh, you know, mm-hmm. walking in the cage that first time with the, you know, with Teddy shaking the, the cage, that fear of, fighting turned into more of a fear of not performing toward the end of my career Mm -hmm. so I used that fear of not performing to kind of amp me up and I knew Kung Lee was a great fighter but I knew I always had a chance you know to win a fight so I I kind of used that fear of not performing to to go out there and leave it all out on the line Mm -hmm. so you know in the fight with Kung Lee uh, he obviously started out really strong and he looked as though he was he was on his way to win winning somehow uh, he was more aggressive and he was kind of throwing those kicks and you were on the defensive um, at what point in that fight did you realize this guy's getting tired and I might have a shot here in the in the last round the very end of the second round okay. I I started picking it up a little bit and I don't remember exactly what my corner told me. I do remember fake the right, throw the left. And that's what I ended up catching him with. But um, I, I did feel some confidence going into that third round because I, I did feel him slowing down a little bit toward the end of the second round. And this is a hard question, but where, where does your power come from? I mean, there's a lot of uh, people your size who, who, uh, you know, they don't have the knockout power you do. You're called hands of steel because if you get hit, you're taking somebody out. And we've seen it over and over. Is that a is that a genetic thing? Do you train specifically? Did you train for having that kind of power punch? Uh, no, where- I mean, I didn't start. I didn't start boxing until my early early twenties. Yeah. Um, I, I will say it's probably a genetic thing. I, I come, you know, my my dad's a pretty big, strong guy. His dad actually did some pro boxing matches my grandpa, but yeah, you know, my, my brothers too, they're, they're about the same build as me and they, they hit pretty hard themselves. <laughs> yeah. So, so in that third round, okay. So you, you hit him, right. And, and you see him wobbling and he sort of, he goes down, he gets up, 
Um, walk me through what's in your mind, knowing that you've just gone from maybe losing a fight on a decision to, holy cow, I'm about to do this again. And I'm going to do it against the best fighter that I've ever faced, Kung Lee. What's going through your head when you when you smell blood and you know this fight's about to be over? So so when you smell blood like that, one of the best uh, piece of, of advice I'd ever heard, it came from Chuck Liddell when he was a guest coach on the Ultimate Fighter show. Mm-hmm. So I have a problem when, when I'm going for the kill of over committing and kind of pushing my punches and, and not snapping them. And Chuck Liddell said, don't go in there uh, trying to knock somebody out. Throw your punches knowing you're going to knock somebody out. So mm-hmm. just throw your regular combos. I will say I did kind of overcommit. Luckily, I caught him again with a straight right. But I, if you go back and watch that fight, I kind of went in pushing my punches and just trying to get a hold of him which isn't the way to go. And so I, I was fortunate to catch that big right, you know, right across the, you know, I think I broke his nose on that punch, but uh, yeah, I, I, I try to go in there when I smell blood and just know it's going to end as soon as I catch him with one of these punches. Yeah. And then I remember, you know, they stopped the fight and you were on top of him and you kind of, you know, put your arms out and you look so happy um, in that moment. Right. Just, is that the greatest MMA feeling you've ever had? But you look so relieved, so happy. And it's like, I did it again. Uh, yeah. What do you recall about your mindset? It, it was amazing. You know, I know in that strike force fight, they let two of your family members come and sit cage side. My, my younger brother and young, younger sister were there. And uh, yeah, it was just, it, it was unreal. I said, I, I just couldn't believe it happened. You know, all the way till going to bed that night. I'm like, okay, am I going to wake up and, it's going to be fight day. It's, <laughs> you don't believe it happens. And how many times have you watched that fight over on TV or just like, recording? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't like watching the, the first uh, two rounds. Yeah. Uh, somebody has a good highlight clip of it's about a, I don't know, four minute clip and uh, it shows them beating on me for a while. And then, but yeah, I've, I've watched it a handful of times. Like people send it to me on Facebook and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and then just real briefly, you know, you obviously had a rematch, you know, what, what was the difference there? Why, why was there a different outcome from your perspective? You know, he, he caught me, he ended up catching me with a, a knee to the mid midsection and that, and that's what dropped me. I, I had a lot of, I had more confidence going into the second fight than the first fight, but I, yeah, I, I got caught. He probably learned to catch me in the midsection and not the temple. So I had <laughs> Yeah, you know, but I mean that 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 first fight would just go down as just you know, Mauro Ranella was right. It was it was such a, a comeback victory, and it was so exciting, and it just sort of proved that that um, you're never out of a fight, you know, and, and and you can always win, and you look like somebody who believed in yourself, and it really showed there. So it was it was inspirational. Let's talk about the other two sort of highlight real quickly: uh, Benji Raddick, Pete Sell. Um, obviously the, the Pete Sell fight, you were, you were gone yourself and somehow you managed to come back and win. Um, what do you recall about that fight in terms of your ability to take punishment and then give it back? Yeah. You know, the Pete Sell fight, it was actually a pretty even fight going in toward the end. I would say I was probably even winning the fight, but, uh, me and Pete were pretty good buddies on the show and, and great sparring partners. And we knew right away that they were going to match us up because we had some great sparring sessions and when we were backstage and, and Dana announced uh, that there was going to be fight of the night bonuses, me and Pete said, 
you know, let's get that. That's us. Let's get it. You know, we're slapping five and excited about it. And we did, we got fight of the night and that's what I wanted. I want to go out there and have fun. Like it's a sparring match. Just like in practice, we beat the hell out of each other in practice. And then we would, you know, ride in the same van home and hang out all night, you know, that we had fun doing it. Yeah. I mean, that was definitely, you know, a great, great card. Uh, What would you say is the toughest fight you've ever had? The toughest fight, I would say that the most I've been hurt in the fight would be Benji Raddick and the okay. first Lawler fight. I was hurt pretty bad. Uh, it was my foot. I could have swore I broke my foot, but I, I didn't. But I would say the most I've been hurt in the fight is is uh, Benji Raddick. Pretty okay. bad concussion. I didn't I didn't remember much of the next two weeks after that fight. <laughs> oh man, and and uh, you know you're somebody who's taken a lot of punishment and you you've dished it out. Uh, do you like fighting? Did you fight because you wanted to fight, or did you fight because you you saw a path and you could make some money and it was maybe better than doing something else? So what, what motivated you to put your body on the line like this? I fought because I fell in love with it the first time my hand was raised. You know, back back then, my first ten fights, you're making maybe a thousand dollars a fight. It definitely wasn't for the money. Yeah. I always said I, I, I wouldn't do it for the money toward the end of my career. I will say I did. And my record shows that I, I wasn't fighting for the love of the sport anymore. And I, you know, I had a pretty bad ending to my career. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about sort of the end of your career. You know, you, you obviously um, had the big victory over uh, a Kung Lee and um, you know, then that may have been the highlight, sort of the last, the last big one that you, you were participated in. Uh, did you fall out of love with the sport or did the sport just sort of change and, and get different or how would you characterize sort of, sort of the end um, um, there for you? When I fought Paul Daly, I cut down to one seventies and I thought it was a, a great cut. Yeah. Uh, I, I've had more trouble making two Oh fives and one eighty fives than I did for the, for the one seventy fight. I did cut a lot of weight, you know, about yeah. 20 pounds, but I, uh, I think I wrote when he caught me with the punch. I've never been put to sleep like that. Yeah. And I think part of that might have been to the of the weight cut. And I I think I just started getting pretty discouraged and just kind of I guess I felt fell out of love with fighting, you know, slowly. Yeah. Well, I mean, you fought the best of the best. And, you know, for a period there, you were, you know, as good as, as any of them. Um, you know, you had a really good career and left people with a lot of memories and able to fight in the UFC and strike force. What are you doing today? What, what are you up to? You know, about nine months ago, I, I moved up to Grants Pass, Oregon with my oh. childhood best friend, Mike Quist. Uh, I'm, I'm working, working for him now. He's, uh, he actually started a, a, a company of uh, years back stone coat countertops and um i'm helping him rebuild his big mansion here on the river and uh just kind of a change of scenery for my family i got three little ones now my my older boys are 24 and 17 but i have a six-year-old daughter a three-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter and my daughter was about to start kindergarten we wanted to get out of california and my buddy mike gave me the opportunity to move up here to oregon and it was like, it was a great move. I love it up here. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a, uh, I have some family in uh, Grants Pass, so I know the area and that's a great area for sure. Um, so, so you're, uh, you know, do you, do you watch the game at all? Do you, are you involved at all in, in any, anything? Uh, do you keep up with the sport? I, I don't keep up with it near as much, you know, and it's mm-hmm. funny cause I was just talking to my buddy, Matt, that I'm working with Mike's brother and I, he's talking about some of the fighters that I, I didn't even 
honestly recognize the name. So I, I don't keep up with it like I used to at all. But I, I, I still love watching the big fights and, and stuff like that. When local guys fight, what I call local is still Sacramento, Elk Grove. So like when Max Griffin fights or Anthony Hernandez or something, I like watching, you know, those guys who I've trained with just a little bit. And do you, uh, do you try to stay in shape? Do you train? Do you work out? Uh, I mean, I guess doing construction, that's really hard work. But, I mean, do you have any of that MMA training that you're going to just keep doing for the rest of your life? I would, I would like to get back involved. And in, mm-hmm. there's not much here uh, in Grants Pass. There used to be a, a gym when I came up here and visited before that I, that I actually came up and trained in quite a bit. But, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not in uh, any kind of uh, – fighting shape right now at all i could put boxing gloves on and probably go five or six rounds just because i know how to hide and hold my energy but Mm -hmm. if i were to get into an mma fight i would maybe make it 30 seconds but that being said i've always told people when i'm out of shape i'm more dangerous because i know i don't have the cardio to go for five minutes so (laughs) (laughs) you don't you don't want to train with me when i'm in shape like this because i'll go out there and and throw everything i got for 30 seconds and if you get caught it's 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 on you (laughs) <laughs> uh, just a couple more questions here um, and I kind of touched that at the beginning but I want to make sure that we leave and I, I kind of get an answer here is your attitude is amazing like I've interviewed tons of MMA fighters and uh, you know there's different ways that they communicate I mean you seem to really genuinely appreciate your time in the sport you're grateful for the role that you played you were always excited when you won and uh, very humble where does that come from? It's, it's, it's not a trait we see every day with combat fighters. Um, where does that come from? You know, I, I, I guess I just, from a great family background, you know, my, mm-hmm. my parents raised me right. My, my parents are been married 53 years or still together. And I come from a great, a grateful family. You know, like I said, there, there's fighters that are way better than me that never got the chance to be where I'm at. So I, I appreciate it. And, you know, I had a, I had a son at 17 so I didn't really get to get out and travel much. So I really appreciated the traveling and, you know, fighting in Miami and fighting in St. Louis. And I got to fight in Ireland and Vegas. So, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't step on an airplane until I was 21. Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. that was the first time I've ever traveled. So I, I really appreciated what I was able to do. I was getting paid to travel, something I'd never got to do before. And, and I loved fighting. So it was it was awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, just as we wrap up here, if you had one fight to show somebody and just say, this is Scott Smith, this is everything I ever was in MMA, um, and it exemplifies who you were, which fight would it be? Uh, that would definitely be the Pete Tell fight. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we were slapping five. That wasn't something that was planned at all, mm-hmm. but we, we were having fun out there. You know, he, I think he got four stitches under both eyes. I got four stitches under one eye. And we're hanging out at the after party, you know, having fun. I'm dancing with his mom and stuff. You know, we that was a highlight of our – I didn't know how big the fight was at that time. And I remember somebody from UFC pulled me aside saying, you have you have no idea how big that fight is for you. And I'm like, it was no big deal. It's basically a sparring session. There's 800 people in the room. It's not a big deal. And then I, I realized how big that fight really was. And all I did was go out there and did what I loved doing. And that was basically sparring with Pete Tell. <laughs> yeah well you know it, 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 that that was definitely a great fight and so many of the fights that you're in you really 
Rick showed that you're never out of the fight and you can do great things. Hey, anything you want people to know? I mean, I know I'm a fan of yours. I know there's lots of people out there when they hear the name Scott Smith, they remember that guy was a fighter. Um, anything else you want to say to people who uh, are just wondering how you're doing and, you know, want to know about you and your career, just give you the final word here to talk to your fans. I, I, I'm a family man now. I still appreciate all, all my fans. You know, I, I run into people once in a while and anything I can do to help anybody. I always, always try to do so. Um, I still appreciate the fans. They're, they're the reason why I got paid to do what I love. So I appreciate everybody out there. All right, Scott Smith. Uh, thanks for taking the time. And uh, you guarantee that uh, every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll put on the Kung Lee Scott Smith miracle in San Jose fight and watch that. Cause that thing is inspirational. And uh, if, no, if you're listening and you haven't seen that fight, you know, obviously the Pete Sell one's great, Benji Raddick, but there's just something special about, you know, his comeback that uh, he did uh, over Kung Lee, who was, you know, world champion caliber fighter at that time. So, so um, check that out. Thanks a lot, Scott. Um, enjoy your day. Appreciate your time uh, with Inside the Hexagon. No problem. Take care. All right. We want to thank our very special guest, Scott Smith, for taking the time to join us. That was a very insightful interview. Also appreciate Josh for stepping in and while well, he wanted to step in, uh, but, but for them taking the time to, uh, to do the interview, appreciate it. That was really insightful. I wanted to point out real quick, it was interesting during the uh, the the commentary for Evolution, Frank Shamrock made a, a comment about Kung Lee's kicks not hurting, and I kind of was like, yeah, right. But then Scott Smith essentially said the same thing during this interview. So I thought that was kind of interesting, but uh, great to hear what, what Scott's doing and, and he's got still that, that fantastic attitude and all that stuff, but uh, appreciate you tuning in. Also appreciate you. If you will tune into our upcoming episodes next, we are going to be covering strike force Miami, which features a battle for the inaugural welterweight championship inside of strike force nick diaz takes on marius zaromskis in a very memorable fight also chris cyborg makes her first defense of the women's featherweight belt against marluz kunin and then herschel walker and bobby lashley make their strike force debuts it's herschel walker's mma debut and then an extremely extremely uh, notable for one round fight between ruthless Robbie Lawler and Melvin Manoff, just an absolute barn burner. Some really, really good stuff on this card. I'm looking forward to covering that. After that, we are scheduled to speak with AKA coach Bob Cook. He helped train Herschel Walker for that fight. So that's going to be interesting. And then after that, we're going to get into Strike Force Nashville, one of the most memorable for many of the wrong reasons uh, Strike Force cards in history. And the week after that, we are talking to Jake Shields about his fight with Dan Henderson, as well as the very unfortunate aftermath on CBS that took place, the brawl with Mayhem Miller and the, the, a couple different fight camps. So lots of really cool stuff coming up. Make sure you stay tuned. Make sure you stay tuned to Evergreen Podcast as well. They've just announced a new slate of spring shows. Uh, so make sure that you are following them and make sure you're following us on social media. You can find us on Twitter and on Instagram at the Hexagon Pod. I know we've been pretty quiet recently. We're working on getting more, more stuff going there, but make sure you follow us. And of course, if you have feedback on the show, you can reach out to me at phil at insidethehexagon.com. Would love to hear from you. Would also love to get your ratings and reviews, uh, whether it's Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to this, we would love for you to rate and review the show. But with that, we're going to go ahead and ride off into the sunset. Hope that you stay safe and you stay healthy, and we will see you soon.
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) I know, right.